0: I think one of the most important things to remember as a CISO, that it's not just about you, right? It's about the collective experiences and expertise that your team has and how you work together.
1: From Exabeam, this is the new CISO. A show about the people who lead IT security teams, the challenges they face and how they overcome them. If you like what you hear, please rate, review, and subscribe to hear our new episodes first. I'm Steve Moore, and on today's show, I speak with Deneen DeFury, CISO of United Airlines, about making the operational and cultural shift between different businesses in the same industry, and also how to get on with security by building trust straight off the bat. Security is a profession built on trust. If you're going to tell people where to spend their money, you need them to believe in you. But how do you demonstrate capability in an industry where results aren't always immediately tangible? Deneen, good morning. How are you today?
0: Great. Good morning. Thanks for having me.
1: Thanks for being here. If you would, for the uninitiated, Deneen, tell us about yourself.
0: Sure. So I'm Deneen DeFiori. I'm the CISO at uh, United Airlines. So I've been with them for about a uh, little over two months. Just joined the the company after a probably a, almost nineteen year career at GE. So making the transition right now.
1: Have you made the mistake after nineteen years of saying the wrong employer, like introductory discussions or like a slip of the tongue where you work? I ask I about that. Yeah, <laughs> I've done that. I've done that before. Sadly, and uh, I, 19 years is a very long time, and that's a rare thing to, to switch. But now you're united. I have to say I spend many, many hours inside your airplanes. Great. I'm a, lo- a loyal customer. I actually was just on the phone with them yesterday. So thank you for helping keep things straight there.
0: Great. You're welcome.
1: So two months, that is always difficult, you know, shifting changing organizations but after almost 20 years has to be extra tough what are some of the things you've had to relearn just in general and changing organizations after being so long at it, it was GE aviation wasn't it
0: right yeah yeah it was GE aviation so you know I'm uh, familiar with the aviation industry and kind of the the business models there so that was i thought i would have a good transition just understanding kind of the way the the business works but it is a little bit different coming from a supplier and equipment provider aviation GE aviation made you know engines and avionics systems and things like that to an operator and a carrier so it's a, a little bit different transactional model right when you're dealing with customers right versus being what they call below the wing so just learning you know how the carriers operate is is interesting and exciting for me so that's a little bit different but just culturally, that's a challenge, right? Working from a set of assumptions for 20 years, knowing how to kind of navigate an organization culturally, dynamic, who dynamically, who you know, who the players are. How do you interact with different people? How to kind of play the game, so to speak. There, a whole new game here at United. That's always a. Uh, not working from those old set of assumptions coming in and really listening and understanding the organization. That's, that's always something that uh, I think anyone has to do when, when changing orgs.
1: Yeah. I mean, would you said something pretty key there. Actually, you said two things. One, I want to go back on because I've never heard it before, not in, in aviation industry. You mentioned something on the human side, which is just listening a lot. Has that been part of kind of the recipe that you followed or would you recommend that to a shifting CISO going in? I mean, are you holding kind of office hours to listen to new potential constituents?
0: Oh, yeah, absolutely. I think that's really important. One of the first things that you're going to have to do, changing businesses, changing roles even, is to really understand a couple of things, right? You're going to have to understand and get to know your team, first of all, right? Really listening and understanding who your team is, what their capabilities are, how they work, how they tick, what motivates them, and really get a good feel and working dynamic of who they are and then understanding your the business, what's important to them, what makes the business work, how they make money, right? What what's important, what the risk tolerances are, things like that. And then who the key players are. Not only just understanding the business, but really understanding who the players are and then taking the time to build the relationships as well too. We talk about as CISOs and cybersecurity professionals, our whole industry, our whole profession is built on trust, right? Shifting, like you said, to the human element, we have to work a little bit to build trust, right? As a first step with our business partners. Because if you're going to make recommendations around where you should spend money, because we're spending a lot of money in cybersecurity, right? Or what risks you should accept or not in advising business leaders, you have to establish that trust at a minimum.
1: I'm going to ask, an important, but a very silly question at the same time. You talk about building trust. What is that definition to you when you're going into a new organization? We talk about things like trust and 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 all this, but what is that? What do you re- what do you really mean when you say you're building trust?
0: Right. I think it's a it's a competence level, right, in um, a person's capability, right, and that could be expertise. I think you have to demonstrate your expertise and competency. It's kind of hard to demonstrate that in cybersecurity because some of our work isn't really tangible. Like you don't go in and say, I'm not an architect. Here's my work. Here's what I've done, right? Here's a building. Here's a road. Here's a something that I've engineered. You have to demonstrate capability, expertise, and trust in that trust. And then you also, you have to showcase that expertise, uh, know what you're talking about. And you have to relate your expertise and in cybersecurity back to those business models as well too. You have to show that you understand how your expertise relates back to what those business leaders care about. Otherwise you're going to be talking technology and you're going to be talking this data breach and this vulnerability in this system or whatever, which is going to go way over somebody's head. Or even if it doesn't go over their head, they're really not going to care about it. It's going to say, well, what's the bottom line to me? Is it what does that mean to my operation? Does it cost me revenue? Does it cost me consumer brand reputation? Right? Does it cost me a safety issue? So you have to really showcase that confidence and expertise is really the bottom line. And then you connect it on a on a personal level too. I mean, I think people have to have that personal and emotional connection as well too. Where a certain level of respect. You don't have to be best friends, right? I'm not saying that, but. You at least have to be respected in in some level that you're going to do your job. You're going to do it in a way that has the business and your and the people that work there the right thing for for them.
1: These are all things in most cases that are going to take time. That are it's not something you can just artificially throw in. That's I right. I mean, you you covered a lot of, of elements here, and and I think we I think most of us know this, but but few of us work on it as a part of these individual little elements like you covered a basic question of what is trust maybe even a silly sounding one is adequate for our conversation something that then unpacks into so trust you mentioned competence expertise you know this this sort of universe of your you actually can do what your title suggests and then understanding a business model which is also could take a career in many cases to understand how, you know, how do we make money? And then you mentioned the third piece, which is do I get along or am I personable, right? In many cases, the people that understand, you know, if you're putting all your, your time into the business, uh, so to speak, and the business of security, you know, maybe you didn't leave a lot of time for um, finishing school, so to speak, right? Sure. <laughs> you may not be the friendliest. And so that's a tough formula. I mean, if that's your formula for trust, I think it's it's correct as an executive and as a leader. That's a fascinating and difficult formula. I think if you know, how do you teach that? How do you mentor that into somebody that's a career? I mean, do you agree or any other thoughts on that?
0: It is a tough formula, and I think it's a differentiator as well too. I mean, the, there's lots of great people that do really really good jobs, and they're great at what they do, right? But I think if you look at kind of have um, you know some people that they are outstanding to you they have impact on you it's people that embody some of those those values and those behaviors that you said right so that's kind of how i've had those people that have influenced me over my career right and i pulled those those behaviors or those values and and i've tried to kind of incorporate that into uh you know how i have operated over the years right and then you know, i always say i have to lead by example right you just can't talk about it you have to actually do it so that's what I've been practicing over, over a while.
1: Yeah, and I think that to put a finer point on it, this trust definition or trust formula, it was only really in reference to how do you sort of build it externally, kind of to the other people, to the other areas into the business, finding out who the players are. I think when you flip it into the team, all of that still matters, but there's a leadership element. Yeah. Of it as well. There's a there's a strategy. There's a direction. There's a there's even a little more that even unpacks farther. Do you agree to that? Like it, it changes slightly when you're talking about the humans that you're responsible for, the people that you help direct their career.
0: Absolutely. And you know, I was just starting to get to know my new team at, at United Airlines. Right. That's one of the things that I've been talking about. Right. To my leadership team as well as everybody, every every single individual contributor on the team is the foundational kind of element as we work together, as we develop our priorities and our shared goals and vision. If we're going to execute on these, if we're going to do the best thing for United Airlines, if we're going to protect and defend this airline, the first thing that we have to figure out is how do we do this together? And that to do it, we're going to have to trust each other. There's so many different facets of cybersecurity and technology risk. Nobody knows everything about it. So we all have to have each other's back and we have to, whether we like it or not, implicitly trust each other. We're going to have to figure out ways for our team to come together and do that. So how do we start to build that trust? You know, with me as a new leader, with, you know, new players coming in and out of, of the organization is there's a lot of movement in the industry. There's um, lots of jobs available. People sure. coming in and out of the time. You have to constantly work on that as a team, right, is building that trust constantly.
1: Not related to United, because I don't want to put that fine of a point on it, but in general, as somebody who's just changed positions and now you inherit a team, there's a team of people that are there that are working day in, day out, and in general, you're a new leader. Do you think that new CISOs do a good job of, of adopting that new family, or do you think we could do a better job at that in general? I'm sure you interact with many other CISOs. Mm-hmm. And there's a lot of, there's a lot of change. The tenure of a CISO is sometimes relatively short. Certainly mm-hmm. not the run of twenty years that.
0: Sure, that you, sure.
1: Right. Do you think that that's something that that we botch? I
0: don't know. A botch probably is a little a, a strong <laughs> strong term, but I think we don't spend probably enough time on it. I think we could do better. Absolutely.
1: It's a tricky question, and it yeah. sort of the answer is sort of it depends. But I know selfishly back back to this trust formula the job of a security person is approaching impossible in many cases yes. that's kind of i think why some of us like it you almost know that you're trying to defend the alamo but in that using that example you know you would want people that you have trust built with and those are yeah. people it takes time it takes years and years and years to have that trust and so there's sometimes the desire this is what I would do. This is what Steve would do. I would want to bring in one, two, three, four, maybe more people that I knew to help me get a faster handle on the situation. Nothing against the incumbents at all. sure. But that would be my model. And it's probably wrong. But because of the formula that we laid out earlier, which I agree with, that would be my my desire. And so I think it can hurt feelings sometimes, even when it's well-meaning. And that's kind of where I was going. I mean, I mean, how do you feel about that?
0: Yeah, I, I think the situation, it does depend, right? If, there are, if, if you're coming in as a new leader and you look at your team or organization and you kind of assess the team, right? Their expertise and experiences, you're going to have to f- see if if it's the right mix for what you have to accomplish, right? And maybe it is. And maybe you have that, that gr- good mix of people and skill set and expertise and you can find your second in command or those people you trust and move forward. And maybe, maybe there is a, is a gap and you have to kind of recruit from the outside and bring them in. But I think if you have open lines of communications, right? And explain the strategy around, okay, here's what I'm trying to do. Here's the goals we're going to accomplish, here's the priorities, here's what everybody brings to the table. It's a different conversation than coming in as a new leader and saying, hey, here's the person I worked with before. They're going to be my second in command, you know, and thanks for all you guys did, but you're not, you're not good enough, right? I think it's a, a very different way of approaching it. I've always felt as a leader, I have to really leverage my team. And I always want an amazing team around me. It's about expertise and experiences. My team members have that I don't have. I mean, I have to leverage and get from them. I think one of the most important things to remember as a CISO that it's not just about you, right? It's about the collective experiences and expertise that your team has and how you work together. That's what I really, really think that you know, folks kind of miss sometimes.
1: Extremely wise words by you. I I think it's not about the CISO. I think it's it has to be in, in some ways, there's a, a title and a moniker and in many things that come from that. But ultimately, at least my view is, is that you're there to shield kind of the pain and the BS from the rest of the, the team and to act as a champion for them to push and really to be a, a great delegator yeah. in that process. And so I think in some cases, because there is such a demand for great CISOs and we get excited about it. And and we're kind of in our infancy as a profession in many ways, if you weigh it against others, that we can get caught up in what I sometimes call these kind of Hollywood CISOs, right? It is, it's not about their team, you know? And so that's, that's, I think an issue that we face as an industry a little bit. and maybe and I think maturity will fix that, but, one thing I, in our earlier conversation, which I really enjoyed, it's a simple question, but I wanted to pick your brain on it because I think we, we all have made mistakes here. We talked about how many people sort of fail. They're ready to, to fund a project or they're ready to come to you for approval for something. And this, again, doesn't necessarily apply to anyone's current employer, but they're ready to spend money. And you ask, okay, what problem are we trying to solve? Why do we mess that up so much? How is it that we're ready to spend a million dollars, but can't articulate a basic answer to a question? Like, okay, well, you want a million dollars. What problem are we trying to solve? Why do we trip up on that?
0: I think that that is a back to basics type of question that I always ask everyone, right? It's amazing to me as well, too. (laughs) You'd think it would be the first uh, answer that just rolls off somebody's tongue, right? They would have a a great uh, monologue of, of, all these problems and reasons of why we're going to spend all this money and approach this, this problem. But a lot of times people will say, "If we're going to kick off this new initiative. If it's anything from SOAR automation to data loss prevention to you name it, cloud encryption, right? What the answer I'll get is all the things that, th- that the technology can do. And that's really not the right answer. And I think as cybersecurity professionals, just the industry, I think the way it, it's going right now, there's so much technology out there. You have the big players, you have all, there's a lot of niche startups and VC firms that are pushing technologies and solutions. There is a technology for every use case, for everything. There, there's technologies for problems that you don't even know you have, Right. So I think we get caught up in that a lot of times. The other thing, too, is there's a lot of, I think, generalized risks that everybody has and vulnerabilities that we know we all have. Everything from just, I'll say, general kind of vulnerability management, specific things like, okay, well, you know, people are still doing things like not coding correctly and there's SQL Injections and cross-site scripting vulnerabilities to, you know, we need, like I said before, cloud encryption. There's just general risks out there. A lot of people are not taking the time to realize, understand, like I said before, listening and understanding the business model, the risk tolerance. And is it a problem that how is it applicable to your business and how is that going to actually move the needle on the risk posture of your business, is it a problem for them? Are they going to care or not? And is that you know X million of dollars, is it going to make a difference for them in the long run? I think those are the things that we kind of get caught up in. We don't take a step back to ask ourselves those questions before we run off and spend X m- millions of dollars on the latest and greatest technology to, to mitigate the generic cybersecurity risk out there.
1: So I had somebody tell me once, I actually really liked the guy, and he, he was in a tough spot. He was taking over some of the budget that was being allocated for something on a, a big problem on which I worked long, long ago. That's all I'll say. His comment to me and this, to many others was, it was amazing. Everyone was getting on this call, and there was a, a lot of money sort of being doled out for these projects. And there were some people on the call that I really respected, and they, ha- they had their stuff together. And we had prepared, it felt like, weeks for this meeting and all these spreadsheets you've been there all these spreadsheets and justifications all this stuff and i was saying it politely and all of a sudden i think the first person they, they go into this big speech and he stops them and he's like what do i get for my money and everybody went into vapor lock and i was third in line so i had t- i had some time to think about this and somehow I was able to give a very direct, I was like, well, here's what you're going to get for your money is exactly what I kind of like the intro, which is a little too bold, probably, but I'm foolish uh, that way. (laughs) And it it actually went pretty well because I gave a a three sentence explanation of what it was we need to fix. And there's a little bit of a, despite that my rough edges, it sort of got the job done. And I feel like we need to do a little more uh, of what do I get for my money? What am I? And even be selfish. Imagine you're in charge of finance. What do I get for my money? What is that? So walk us through if you would. I mean, you've probably had to do this exercise with yourself, but also with others, the, your own team that brings you, you know, in, in, in the last 20 years at your prior employer, definitely where someone wants to spend money. And like, is there a, a method of thinking that you walk through? If you're mentoring me, what would you walk me through?
0: Yeah. So there's definitely, definitely a method right it's basically tying it to the risk profile right it's a risk assessment methodology basically you really have to understand again what your priorities are what risks you have out there and the problems you're trying to solve related to a business strategy sometimes what you think is a priority might change in a couple months you know take for instance the crisis we're going through now <laughs> Priorities are very different. You know what they were beginning of the year to a couple of months from to where we are now. From a methodology standpoint, it's really around understanding again what problem are you trying to solve. So, for instance, if you're trying to look at cybersecurity risks and impact to the operations, what are the either business metrics or business outcomes that you're enabling or trying to mitigate? Like for instance, if you are a manufacturer if you manufacture products, right? You're manufacturing security, you have industrial security, IoT, you have industrial security concerns, right? Around equipment on the shop floor, right? There's definitely cybersecurity risks around those machines, like um shop floor machines and production line equipment and things like that. Sure. They weren't manufactured to be connected to the internet, but everybody wants to connect it to the internet because they can be you know, data can be uh, streamed back, and they could, it could be analyzed, and it could be they could get better operational productivity around the manufacturing line, right? So there's lots of reasons why you would want to connect those machines to the internet and to the network and all that that fun stuff. But along with that comes cybersecurity risk that we didn't have to deal with ten years prior to when those machines are manufactured.
1: Danine, one of the things I like to ask. I think because it's, it's sort of mentorship-focused, what would today's Deneen offer as advice to the Danine going in to, their, to her first day at GE Aviation? What advice would you, would you give yourself?
0: Yeah, so I don't have a traditional, I'll say, IT or, or cybersecurity background. So I'm self-taught, but I actually have a degree in biology. <laughs> I kind of fell into IT, and then I fell into cybersecurity. My advice to myself, my younger self 20 years ago, would be really to trust my gut a lot more from an emotional intelligence perspective. I'm able to learn a lot and take in a lot of data, and that that still energizes me today. I'm a constant learner. I think that's why I've stuck with cybersecurity for the past 12 years now. It's because every day is new, you know, you see something yeah. different and you have to learn and you, you, you can't rest on your laurels, right? You have to constantly keep up with different technologies, different methods and attacks and things like that. So I really think it's around, you know, having the confidence in yourself, right? And trusting yourself to speak up, to go for it and to, you know, raise your hand a little bit more. I had just enough capability just enough expertise, even though I didn't have that traditional background in engineering or computer science or, you know, degree or training as the rest of it, the rest of the people in my peer group or my colleagues. And, um, I think I could have made a lot of impact, uh, sooner than I did if I would have just had a little bit more confidence in myself. So
1: maybe reluctance to to volunteer or to say, yes, I can do that. I can remember earlier in my career thinking, going to conferences and seeing people speak about anything and sitting there thinking, I will never be able to get up in front of a room and and speak because I don't know that I have enough to share. I don't know that I have the confidence to do that. And while that's not exactly what you're referencing here, I mean, I assume there was still a little bit of that maybe anxiety. Is that part of what it, what it was to your younger self?
0: Yeah, I think so. I think so. I mean, there are a lot of really smart, educated people, right? And experts in their in their field by training. I didn't have that. And I, I think, especially nowadays, um, if you see uh, some of the folks that are really, really successful in cybersecurity and are doing well, they don't have that formal background and training and our field is kind of nascent you don't need that and i would just give, give that advice to my younger self is you can create your own pathways you can forge your own way and you can still be successful in your own right
1: completely agree a couple things there uh, some of the smartest people i know that work in cybersecurity don't have a security degree uh, some of them don't even have a degree at all there was a music major Life sciences, I can remember math majors, uh, you know, just anything but. And I think, you know, one of the early bits of advice I would give people who were interested in InfoSec, because I didn't start at InfoSec, I was in IT and and worked on a farm before that and did a bunch of other weird stuff Mm -hmm. as a kid. I said, you know, the, the best place to start is not in InfoSec. You need to go learn how to build and break and recover and you know learn that and then then worry about protection but i think a varied background is really important i'm going to ask for your comment on something you know there was a, i won't name who but there was someone who was a ciso who had a non-traditional degree and that organization unfortunately uh, had a breach and i'm ashamed that members of the security community made fun of that person because that person was a music major. And this goes back, you know, this, was, this person finished university probably 20 years ago or more. And I was very upset by that. Some people came to the person's defense. I don't even want to use any details, but you know what a load of, of crap. Yeah. You were kind of saying that you, know, you came from a non-traditional, kind of at least educational base and you're a self-learner. Do you think we have a a politeness problem in, in InfoSec sometimes in general?
0: I always call the subculture. You know, what I mean, there is like a little subculture in InfoSec and sometimes it's not nice. It's unfortunate. I'm a big proponent of diversity in in all sense of the word. You have to have different different approaches, different ways of thinking, um, different backgrounds. I mean, the best way to get to great outcomes, right, is through different perspectives. If you're a music major, if you're a biology major, and hey, that was a long time ago for me, right? (laughs) 27 years ago. And I have more practical expertise and knowledge in the field of, you know, technology and expertise. And I'll tell you, I can go head to head with some of my, you know, more technical professionals and intel analysts and You know, sometimes I even surprise them. So, you know, I think it's really around your practical expertise and knowledge and day-to-day and your experiences that you've been through than, you know, what your degree was. I mean, you could be a medical doctor, get a degree in medicine, right? And if you're not practicing, how good is that?
1: No question. I do think there's some organizations that are putting out some very good security education and, and even some formalized programs that are pretty nice. I mean, I, I myself have spent time and money and resources towards that. Th- that is nice, you know, and, I, and I'm proud of those degree accolade kind of thing. But I, I think oh, yeah. I've learned more sort of playing in the lab or being involved in community events or going through and sadly, <laughs> some of the incidents I've worked and breach response and that kind of thing, you're going to learn a lot more there than than you are through any class, uh, certainly a class that that you or I took 27 or 25 years ago. Yeah,
0: for sure, for sure. I'm a big proponent of of education and I spend a lot of uh, money and energy in sponsoring different educational opportunities for people who want to get into the field of cybersecurity as well as developing folks within the organizations that I've worked in as well too. And always pairing it with, some practical knowledge and expertise as well, too, because you have to see how what you're learning applies in real life. And in real life, things don't always go as planned. Like I said, (laughs) every day, it's something new. Like you think, oh, yeah, I've been through this before. No, you haven't, right? I mean, you think you have a, a playbook or a blueprint, and you're rewriting it every time something happens, right? It's kind of funny. You pull out your response plan, and it's like, okay, well, that's great. We've never seen this before, and then you, you start to figure out what to do. So, there's value in having that strong foundation, but uh, there's always an opportunity to continuously improve and learn. And that's what that's really what I love about InfoSec. It's one of the things I really do like.
1: You told me earlier that there really wasn't a blueprint for a CISO. Now, strangely, you kind of laid out at least maybe a, a leadership blueprint earlier in our chat, you know, sort of the formula that you, that you sort of shared on the trust formula. But when you said there's not a blueprint for a CISO, what did you mean by that? Why isn't there a blueprint?
0: Like when you talk about the playbook, there's frameworks and there's standards and there's guidance and things like that, that you can pull out and you can reference right and you can build a program there's there's all those things but really the dynamics change and the threats change and the business models change every day if you think about what we're going through right now with the covid-19 who would have thought one day literally within a week people are all of a sudden working from home 100% from organizations who never had to do that right and that your threat model changes completely your third party risk model changes completely you have all these other things to think about that you never had to do and you have to stand it up in very very little time frame so that's what i was talking about those there's things that you have to just respond to and it's dynamic and you're going to have again that strong foundation but it's not like you're pulling out the crisis response to a a fire or a tornado. You know what I mean? It's, it's different.
1: Yeah, it's not something that's static uh, at all. It's, it's extremely dynamic. I, I want to avoid kind of the pandemic talk, but for those that are in the midst of having to shift to an all offsite site work model, both the people they protect in many cases and their direct staff are all sort of remote. What are a couple of things from an advice perspective that you would give if there's the director of security or CISO who's overwhelmed that might not know how to get started? Maybe they're at a smaller organization. What are a couple of things, both technical and human, that you would recommend if you would share that with us?
0: Right. I think from a human standpoint, it's really around education and making sure that the employees understand you know, security awareness in terms of remote working, not just the, the threats, but the resources they have around uh, secure collaboration tools, what is acceptable, how to report things that don't look like if you see something, say something, how to actually report things so we can identify them and research them. So right. really amping up the security awareness in terms of what they should be doing and what they should be looking out for. So I think that's one thing. And then secondly, on the technical front, making sure you have MFA on, <laughs> on all your external and cloud-based apps, if you can do that, hardening your VPN and external services, authentication and, and authorization systems and things like that. That's a big one, right? And just taking a good look at some of those uh, configuration settings Because they probably weren't tuned and the policies probably weren't set for 100% kind of work from home. So you might want to just just change those a little bit.
1: Sure. I mean, uh, there's cases, there's some people I'm speaking with where provisioning and entitlement management has changed because they've had to add so many people to either cloud-based or remote uh, virtualized systems. And so... They've had to go back and, and audit that because it's been sort of this tidal wave of, of management yep. there and even telling some people not to use the VPN, not from a licensing standpoint, but they just didn't expect to ever have everyone using the VPN. And so there's been sort of this rerouting of what I'll call the, the business process traffic. And so there's been a lot of strain there. The other thing that I've had shared with me, which I liked, I found interesting, is they're having to change the way they do support. So kind of developing these tiered, almost tiered support because they have so much remote help requirement. So this concierge group for, you know, frontline yeah. folks and executives and rethinking that. I mean, how do you fix a broken laptop? Whereas before you could right. ship one or two, now you might get a hundred or two hundred a day being needing yeah. to go to FedEx. You know, so there's these other sort of weird things happening that are that we would have never thought of from a volumetric perspective.
0: Yeah, there's a lot of considerations. I mean, it's changed for sure.
1: Are you getting questions? Is it harder to manage? I mean, you're doing, I presume, some of your or all of your leadership now virtually. So you're not only a new CISO at a, at a large and prestigious organization. So you're still sort of meeting people, but now it's all virtualized. Is that how most of your work is going? And are, are you using a lot of camera work or or is it just phone calls how like have you had to adopt a different process for that
0: yeah so we kind of went all in on video collaborations there's a lot of video chats going on right now which is which is good it keeps engagement high and you can see people face to face as well so that's nice it's exhausting though too you know (laughs) you're sitting in (laughs) computer 12 hours a day. But it's well,
1: crazy. yeah. And you, you've got operations, I'm sure, and teams all over. And so yeah. to be a little silly, I'm glad that none of my calls are video yet. I'm a mess. <laughs> I, I haven't been to the barber in a very long time. I trim my own beard. It probably looks awful. You have to meet people on video, you know? So there's a, yeah. there's a, a different kind of maintenance kind of going on, too. Yeah. So, yeah. Well, good. I, I got a laugh out of you there. So that's a good a moment of, of levity. I've got one more question. We're at the top sure. of the hour here for you. Um, and we ask everyone this, and you've really answered this through our chat, but I'll, I'll give you a, a chance to put a finer point on it. Pursuant to the name of the show, which is the new CISO, what does being a new CISO mean to you?
0: There's a lot of, lot of different things there. There's no one size fits all model for being a new CSO. I think it depends on kind of your business model, your risk profile, the regulatory environment in the industry you work on, and the capability of your organization. But again, I'll go back to some of the points I made before. We're all in this world of digital transformation, right? Like every business is going through some, you know, digital transformation and working on enabling key business processes with the dependency on some digital components, right? And again, those business models depend on trust and cybersecurity is right at the center of that. It's the heart of that. Historically, when you think about business models, business relationships, they've been kind of abstracted from technology, but in this new world, they're right there. Yeah. And you talk about digitally enabled business models, they're built on trust. So if you have a data breach, if you have significant outage caused by a cybersecurity incident, that breaches the trust. So if you think about it, protecting those business relationships and business models from a cybersecurity and technology arrest A risk perspective really means that you are, you're managing your business in a different way. That's when I think about being a new CISO. It's not just about, for me, protecting the airline or protecting the aviation ecosystem. It's really managing business outcomes and managing the trust of our business right through what I do as a cybersecurity professional as a CISO.
1: Yeah, no, I, I love the trust protection. You summed it up fantastically. And I love that model that we talked about earlier. Denine, thank you so much for making time for us today. I really appreciate uh, you being a guest for us.
0: You're welcome. Thanks for having me. I had a great time.
1: As did I. Thank you. That's it for this episode of the new CISO. Thank you for listening. Check out more episodes on exabeam.com forward slash podcast. And remember to rate, review, and subscribe to get brand new episodes first.